This is the one with the greatest child tackler since Boris Johnson. Two girls, one vlog. I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Two scientists, half a thought. And Yaz gets her very own Yaz. It's called Praxius. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Echo Center with Ticker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, at the bottom of the ocean, or on the edge of space, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That's right, fellow co-host. You know me, podcast land, as Sir Drew Back When, but opposite me sits a chap. Whose aristocratic bearing, yet unblemished in a world of tainted and grubby honours, renders me by juxtaposition an uncouth urchin. We are in the audible presence of the Baron of Booksmarts, the Marquis of Mirth, the Earl of Erlarity, the Viscount of Vivaciousness, the Duke of Debonair, a man so noble his face properly belongs only on medieval gold coins, for whom de Bretts dare not write guidelines on befitting address, because the only personage with sufficient couth to formulate and deliver them is the man himself. At last, we have the answer to the question, who's who has been posing since 1849? It's Leon. <laughs> you had me at the Earl of Hilarity. Hello, Drew. <laughs> Hello, podcast land. I see our battle continues. I thought we were going to call it a draw, but fine. Have it your way. <laughs> I had all these extra days with nothing to do but suffer with COVID, and I thought, what can I do to pass the time? (laughs) A nobler endeavour has never been embarked upon. Thank you so much, sir. That means so much coming from you. (laughs) Yes, this is a new Who review, Podcast Land of N161, Praxius. Apologies for the change in order, but as Leon said online, pandemic related. Yes, indeed. Are you feeling okay now? Now. <laughs> I think I switched into Swedish mid-sentence. Are you feeling okay now? Well, the first language of caring that you learn. So that's, what, what's that called? Code switching. There we go. Yeah, I'm fine, but I would like to thank everybody who brought COVID to this lowly state where I can be fine. Everybody who developed a vaccine and everybody who wore a mask and observed a mandate because, fucking hell, this was bad enough and I didn't want it any worse than this. No, certainly not. Right. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Okay. Leon, high level, how do you feel about Praxis? It's a pile of dog shit. I can't wait to get into Praxis <laughs> with you, dude. I cannot wait. I have been waiting for so long. You know what? I think it's fair to say I have been waiting over nine years since before this episode even (laughs) aired to reach this particular review with you, Drew. (laughs) Because, wowee, this is a doozy. (laughs) How do you feel, high level? (laughs) That's really interesting. I'd like to start with three quick questions. Oh, avoiding the subject, I see. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Last time, was Lee secretly a Carvanista? How did Gat get destroyed by the laser rifle rather than being forced to regenerate as a Time Lord? And why can't the two Doctors go to Gallifrey when previously we've had four of the first five Doctors play in its death zone and three go there simultaneously in the Day of the Doctor? I'm glad you got that out of your system. (laughs) (laughs) This is my way of segueing to my note that we've just had the best we're going to get from the Chibber's era. And I can't help but use that as a benchmark for this 
one of the low points of the Chibas era. So I don't want to be totally unfair because, of course, this could never match up to last week. So objectively, just how shit is it? It's a complicated not to unravel is what I'm saying. Yeah. It is another one of those very, very ambitious episodes. I'll give it that. That's a great word to use, and I'm very glad you used it, and I'll get back to that. Oh, interesting. Oh, I'm intrigued. You're right. It's quite frankly confounding that television writers don't try to stay in the safety of mediocrity, (laughs) that they would ever (laughs) dare to stray into the high highs of Fugitive of the Jadoon for otherwise... Things like Praxius would be on the relatively safe territory. Yeah, it would be the best we got, and we'd know no better, and we'd be like, thank you for oh, filling us with... I'm so glad that we have that episode where people camp in a tip. Oh, what a great episode. You know what? Can I say, this yep. episode is the Peruvian beach of this season. You think it's going to be beautiful because your expectations have been raised by the Jadoon, and then you arrive and it's just a bunch of bin liners. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Goodness. How are we going to top that in the rest of the episode? So, ratings? Why don't we do this the old-fashioned way? Go there the long way round via a B-scale. Oh, let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. An astronaut returning to Earth is kidnapped by aliens, inexplicably hiding out in Hong Kong, but manages to text his unlikely husband and spare time child tackler to come rescue him. Using a mobile phone he probably doesn't have and we definitely didn't see. Meanwhile, in Peru, the travel-blogging duo of Gabriella, and didn't catch a name, but she'll be dead soon anyway, discover a beautiful river has been turned into a tip, and decide to camp out in it. Also, meanwhile, on Madagascar's only stretch of beach, a submariner washes ashore with some very plasticky eczema. What do these places have in common except for a morality tale about pollution? Dogging a famer there, that's what. Never mind that, though, because birds are falling out of the sky and humanity is about to be afflicted by a global pandemic with deadly consequences. No, not that one. The kind that can be fixed simply by douching the stratosphere. Good thing Doc's three companions are about to be joined by three further idiots travelling, because how else could the fam possibly tackle such a confluence of calamitous events? When the pandemic in this case is identified as an alien pathogen that metastasizes plastic and turns people into dust, Doc and her chums must act fast before it is too late. Over. You are welcome. <sighs> Oh, dear. Right. Well, I don't know where you would like to start, Drew, but... Oh, yikes, caramba. I got some questions. Go on, then. Hit me with the first question. Right. Okay. You know what? I'm going to start off with something perfectly neutral. Okay. In the beginning, when we get that stunning, stunning shot of the Earth from space, Mm. and Doc says, Earth, population, seven billion. Did you also (laughs) think, wow, those were innocent times? Oh, what, before there was another billion? Yeah, we literally just celebrated eight billion like a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) One of my first notes was, we've never been closer to catching up. And yet I found myself thinking, this episode hasn't aged well. Everything (laughs) from the virology to the population stats already out of date. (laughs) Nobody knows what a pathogen is in this episode. Does it seem like maybe Doc could have tackled COVID? Can I just say that? Given that Doc was able to do this, could Doc not just have gone, oh, oh, wait, hang on. 
let's just throw some stuff into the atmosphere and we'll have solved COVID. <laughs> it's quite frustrating because there is some of the equipment that Suki Cheng uses gene sequencing and what have you that clearly were used in developing vaccines at unprecedented speed but then there's like oh if we measure the optical density and the growth rate that means we can genetically engineer an antidote virus what the f- <laughs> <laughs> maybe so it's really unlucky that now we have never been better equipped or better educated to say what complete abhorrent nonsense yeah also i'm not a virologist I'm not an expert, I don't claim to be, but does it not seem like maybe Doc plugged the wrong thing into the TARDIS to develop the vaccine or the antidote? She plugs the astronaut into the TARDIS to go like, oh, this dude's infected, have the TARDIS develop an antidote. Yeah. But they also have birds that clearly are immune to this disease. Oh dear, this brings up two points that I don't like. Oh, right, here we go. The birds aren't immune to the disease. Oh, are they not? No, the enzymes are being super clever. Oh, planet Earth, look at you, plucky little beggar, at work against these alien things. She's acting like natural selection is working to make them birds decompose in a different way, which cannot possibly be passed on to the next generation. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm so glad that I prefaced all of this by saying that I wasn't a scientist. (laughs) 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 Yeah, well, regardless, I feel like they should... By the way, the enzymes stop working, right? Because there's no fuel left in the cell apart from the bacteria itself, the alien pathogen. It's like, oh, go away, episode. (laughs) Okay, question. Every time that we see places like Gallifrey or incredibly highly advanced species somewhere in outer space on Doctor Who. Yes. We very rarely get to see them chuck things into bins or have problems with pollution unless that's the driving force of that particular episode. (laughs) You know, there aren't bin liners flying around in the breeze, is what I mean. Yeah, there's no Gallifreyan beauty. (laughs) Exactly. So clearly, on Gallifrey and wherever else, they've figured out what to do with pollution in some way. Oh, yeah. So there is already a solution to this problem. Could we not take that solution and teach that lesson? You know what it is? Throughout Doctor Who's history, aliens have never used plastic. All their worlds, as we well know, are built of cardboard, which is biodegradable. So they don't come up against the same (laughs) problems, and they've never had to figure this out. (laughs) The closest we get is what to do with our waste, our actual feces, and we have a whole species that thrives on eating it. Oh, tritophores. Exactly. Why doesn't somebody write write a five-part epic about them? I know, and whatever they do, I bet they're going to produce it in 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, I'm pretty sure we will. By the way, I moved that ahead in the calendar to 2023. As soon as we're done with catching up with Doctor Who, that's happening. Okay, great. (laughs) You heard it here first, podcast land. Anyway, okay, there are other questions to be asked. I just wanted to bring up my second annoyance point from when the TARDIS has pumped Adam full of antidote. And he's writhing in agony. And the TARDIS is blaring. The alarms are going off. And all the visuals are alternating between red and gold. The two worst colours of all. And then five (laughs) seconds later, he's fine. Because the episode is just flat out lying to us. It's not a clever misdirect. It's taking our trust and pissing on it. (laughs) Wait, can you contextualise that for me, please? How does this episode lie to us? 
it makes us think, oh, Adam's done for. He's dead. The alarms are all going off. Clearly, the antidote is going wrong. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next time we see it, it's like, guess what? That's TARDIS for things are just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Shame yeah. we didn't know that. Yeah. Can I also just maybe at this point offer, thank goodness Adam's physiognomy is perfectly representative of the entire human race. Just because this thing <laughs> works on him and he no longer has plastic psoriasis, that does not mean that you should pump the atmosphere full of that shit. You don't know. Test it on a few more people. <laughs> yeah, maybe vaccines have different levels of efficacy according to... <laughs> all human characteristics as we found out for crying out loud but they want to know this was the 2nd of february 2020 lombardy went into lockdown on the 21st so had it come out three weeks later i'm sure they would have rewritten the whole thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing how long ago does it seem like this episode aired aeons absolute aeons yeah like 40 or 50 years or alternatively last week depending on how your brain feels on any particular day because either we've aged centuries through this or it just didn't happen it's mental it's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah sorry uh, you were going to bring up our point oh yeah i was just going to take us in a slightly different direction because i'm happy to spend the entire evening on these couple of points alone but we should probably progress and tear other arguments other parts of this episode asunder okay there doesn't seem to be much of a connecting factor or common denominator between all of these instances so i'm thinking about the river in peru the beach in madagascar and the lab or the warehouse sorry in hong kong yeah so which is very is is very bold considering that the doc starts and ends this episode talking explicitly about connection (laughs) yeah but so why does doc send everyone to these disparate locations before we really know what's going on and why is doc right there in madagascar on exactly that beach exactly then right once again there are two things to this At the end of Fugitive of the Jadoon, Doc said, oh, three alerts from different continents. The TARDIS has connected all this together. That doesn't explain the question, though. That's not a sufficient answer, Chris Chibnall and Pete McTeague. It isn't, because the Doctor talks about two identical deaths on two different continents. Yeah, but that's afterwards. That is afterwards. There is never a death in Hong Kong, because Adam survives. Yeah. And do you remember back before the Chris Rock slap? People took the piss out of Will Smith years ago for, maybe it was at Live 8 or something. He would click his fingers. He'd go, every time I click my fingers, a child in Africa dies of hunger. And the internet, in its usual caring way, was like, stop clicking your fingers, Will, you fucking murderer. Yeah. And so people die all the time of the same things, all the time. And so that cannot possibly serve as connecting this episode together. Yeah, let's be clear about something here as well. She sent Ryan to Peru because some birds died. Yeah. Birds die all the time. And it's not like the place was littered with birds. We get to see exactly one dead bird. One bird falls from the sky in Peru. The rest of the birds we see are all alive and well and in Madagascar. Yeah, in fact, I believe they're flying in the exact same formations three or four times throughout this episode. (laughs) But... But she sends Ryan to a different continent. <laughs> yeah. Because a bird might fall out of the sky. 
And I have, I have a follow-up question for you. Actually, I have two follow-up questions. One, was she just trying to get rid of Ryan once and for all? And two, was the rubbish on the beach a factor here? It wasn't, right? I can only assume that because, and this is doing the episode's work, the writer's work for them, because as Suki Cheng describes Praxis as smart, relentless, and it knows you're onto it... And then it makes the birds attack everybody in the lab. The virus will direct somehow, goodness knows how it detects this, will direct its host, its carriers, to the places where it's the most concentrated plastic dumps. And so that's why they rock up at the river. And that's the best (laughs) I can give you. Okay, that's dumb. Not you, the episode, if that's the case. And also, that beach is meant to have the highest concentration of plastic in the world? I don't think so. It seems to me like the beach having been destroyed is just this episode going, oh, God, like humanity just continues to disappoint because we had something beautiful here. The two girls, one vlog, whatever it's called. Two girls roaming. That's it. Two girls roaming. They have done their research, at least half of them have done their research, <laughs> and they know that this beach is absolutely beautiful, but somehow in the intervening like 15 minutes since Gabriella last Googled this beach, a bunch of bins have been emptied on it. Hey, 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 yeah. that's not her fault. Some Americans Googled that same link and one tour bus came and left all of that behind. It's possible. Maybe someone like reverse Alex Garland did it. You're going to have okay. to explain that one. To the beach. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, my point is, I think the bin liners and all the rubbish that's on the beach, that's not caused by the virus. <laughs> it seems stupid to have that be a plot point yeah. when the whole point should be a bird has just fallen down. Like should birds it? Dying. Should well, I mean, it? If we're going to have birds dying, and by the way, we shouldn't because otherwise birds should be dying all the time. You can't have birds are the very alive and serious threat and yeah. birds are just dying willy-nilly and falling out of the sky because problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just everybody stay inside for a week. Yeah, exactly. Just hold yeah. on. <laughs> because I think you'll find program makers, just wait a month, you'll find it's really quite easy Not easy, but people are capable of it. Ethel, stop throwing breadcrumbs out the window. (laughs) It's fine. Birds are going to die and we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Like, it's it's super weird. Peru has nothing to do with this place up until the time that it does. Madagascar has nothing to do with this place or with this plot until it does. Hong Kong certainly has nothing to do with this plot until it does. So why is the fam in all of these three locations? Yeah. And what you say connects to the second thing that I mentioned earlier, which was people turn up at exactly the right time throughout this episode, constantly. Jake is kicking at the door. Yaz and Graham turn up with the key. They wonder where Suki is in the innards of Praxius, the art installation, or new virus city, or whatever the hell it's created under the ocean. Oh, look, she's just there. I completely agree with you. At one point, I don't know exactly when this was, but around about halfway through my notes, I've written, this episode should have been called Captain Coinkydink and the Bad Lines. Everything, everything is a coincidence. Absolutely everything. The TARDIS, when it lands in Praxiusville, the doc comes out the door and she's like, oh, yes, we found you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. The writers lazily put you there. That's what happened. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. So 
I saw a bit of trivia that Ooh. hinted at an earlier draft of this storyline. Here we go again. I was like in this through line. <laughs> it was meant to be called Hush. That's one thing I remember. The Hush virus was the virus that they were fighting. And one of the things, this bit of trivia wasn't particularly fleshed out, like it didn't show you the entire plot line, but it did refer to a Doctor Who magazine article where probably the original plot was fully, fully detailed. Okay, okay. Did it say who wrote it first, whether it was Pete McTeague or Chris Chibnall? No, I was hoping to see that as well, but it didn't say. However, what it did say was that they were in, well, I can't remember where it was. It was one of these locations, not three locations, it was in one of these locations. And when they are in this one location, they find out that coincidentally, just off the coastline, a submarine has just gone missing. Something's just happened with a submarine. So they start investigating that. And that leads them to location number two. And that leads them to location number three. That's how you do it, by the way. That's how you do it. You don't have three different locations that have nothing to do with anything. And then retroactively, you ham-fist a justification for those three locations having been, it seems, chosen at random beforehand. Yeah, it's a slightly better way of doing it. But ideally, what you want to do is find a clue at location one that leads you to location two. That's what I mean. That is what I mean. Sorry. So that's what it originally was. Okay. I don't know where I found this. I think possibly they were in Hong Kong and somewhere off the coast, yada, yada, yada. Something happens with a submarine. Someone there has died under mysterious circumstances. They find out that someone in Madagascar just died under the same circumstances. They go there because now there's a connection and they find out something there that leads them to location three. Okay. Which I think that's a good way of doing it, even if I just got the locations wrong. But I think that's the way to do it if you absolutely need to have three locations here which you don't by the way (laughs) no this is following the template established in resolution which was somewhere in sheffield siberia hawaiian island big blocky capital location markers and then hard smash cut to back alley in cardiff slash studio or they were in interior in japan weren't they at one point it's It's in one of them i can't remember which episode that was but yeah yeah. just time after time yeah Actually, that's a solid comparison because did we need to be in Peru? It's, no. Gets representation is really important, but did it add anything to have this in Peru? No. They because... left Peru immediately. <laughs> First of all, microplastics are a terrible problem, and we may get to that. But one of the studies that has been done showed that one of the highest concentrations of microplastics anywhere in the world was in a Manchester canal. Oh, really? Or- So you love these northern provincial locations. Just have it happen there. There are birds in the north. We even have some connection to the north. But a companion's relative there or something, I don't know. And then we can take out Peru and it can be a little less far-fetched and contrived and artificial and bollocks. Well, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know about that Manchester Canal. I don't mind if it's in Peru, but I want the location to matter. Yes. Just like, I don't mind it having been in Hong Kong, but we didn't need to split up the team and have one dude go to Peru and one duo go to Hong Kong. You could pretty easily have everything just in one maximum two locations and then you don't have to waste time on traveling between them and it would just be a better more cohesive story we didn't need to have hong kong whatsoever at all because while they did connect the spaceship crashing to adam's spaceship being knocked off course why did they then pick this astronaut whom they knocked off course to experiment on the whole world is looking for this guy can nobody else be found 
whom nobody will ever miss if they died. Say maybe Alamu, the black Madagascan guy in this episode who gets torn to death by birds and nobody mentions it. Nobody even remembers him for the whole rest of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in my notes. It's in my notes. (laughs) No one cares about him. He's a civilian. No one cares about him. Yeah, it's disgusting anyway, but the optics are terrible on top of that. So the astronaut, Adam, he was infected after he crashed on Earth, right? He didn't catch it. He didn't contract it in space, did he? I don't think he could have, no. They experimented on him in Hong Kong. In the lab, they were all masked up, hazmat suits, and they were giving it to him. Even though, as Doctor quite rightly points out, different species. (laughs) So the cure isn't going to work for them anyway. Nope, correct. Idiots. scientists on your lab ships the best of the best specifically picked selected to go out and save your race you're all fucked anyway yep oh where was i going with that (laughs) i don't know okay more questions i have a question let's hear it although it may end up a paragraph (laughs) let's hear it (laughs) okay okay okay. (laughs) this is a much broader question about jody's era in general okay Some people make a big deal of the lack of cold opens in Jodie's era. Some people, not necessarily the same people, also feel like the show isn't really Doctor Who anymore. And a third group of some people question her ability to stamp her identity on the show. Do you think those things are all somehow related? Oh, what a question. Oh my goodness, that deserves a bonus episode in itself. And I guess, technically, we will have that episode. We'll have the Jodie Whittaker retrospective eventually. But (laughs) I think it's a combination of lots of different things. It's a confluence of calamitous events. It does feel like Doctor Who to me, but she doesn't feel like the Doctor. But that's not necessarily so much about her as it is about the writing and the writing putting the focus on the wrong part of the story and not really giving her enough scope to grow into the role, yada, yada, yada. Okay, okay. So I did some research for this and you're talking about the focus and the scope. Among other things, yeah backs up what i think i've managed to put together okay previously certainly in the moffat era possibly also rtd my data doesn't go back that far (laughs) you had a cold open either it centered around the doctor or it had to point towards the doctor the best cold opens are those that plunge the doctor into an immediate cliffhanger or set up a big mystery think the beginning of world enough and time where capaldi sinks into the snow and starts regenerating right there and you think we've got two episodes left what the hell happens now (laughs) (laughs) and if he wasn't in the cold open he appeared straight after it and sometimes when he didn't appear in the cold open he narrated it and he gave a full weighty well-written voiceover work in the chibbers era we don't have cold opens anymore Mm. last week we actually did see the doctor straight away we didn't know it was her (laughs) it wasn't jody Spyfall Part 1 had a cold open. It was just like Resolution's non-cold open. Again, we got three disparate locations, the Chibber's trademark. But in both Resolution and Spyfall Part 1, either then the guest stars then get introduced, or each companion gets painstakingly reintroduced, and finally Doc rocks up after six minutes. In Nikola Tesla, she first jumps into frame at five minutes. In Fugitive of the Jadoon, it's four minutes thirty. Here, while we get three sentences of the barest voiceover that technically qualifies as having been written, 
she first appears seven minutes in. In series 10, Capaldi yeah. was front and center every time, either his voice or visually from the beginning. And so the presence of the Doctor isn't integral to the show anymore because for some reason, Chibber seems to revel in teasing the mystery of when it finally arrives, much like he did with the actual scheduling of the episodes, never telling us when to expect them. <laughs> this is all super solid stuff. He also, I think, and this is something we've discussed before, revel in the multiplicity of ancillary characters. We already have a situation in which we have far too many companions. There are too many people in the TARDIS. Most people watching the season will agree. And yeah. then on top of that, he normally adds at least one more ancillary companion of the week, whom we do not need. Yeah. And in this yeah. case, I think there are five companions of the week, one of whom is a misdirect and actually a bad guy in disguise, and one of whom is sacrificed on a beach and never readdressed. So there are just too many characters, and you can't focus a story on the Doctor if you have to take care of six to eight characters <laughs> in addition to that protagonist. And you somehow need to substantiate all of them. You have the child tackler, Boris. Boris needs to be established as a police officer slash ex-police officer. We need to make him sympathetic in some way. We need to show that he goes to a... Like, he has a drinking problem. We haven't addressed that. <laughs> but whatever. He's married to an astronaut no one buys that, by the way. He can travel to Hong Kong on an ex-policeman salary within, like, seconds. No one cares about anything. Oh, that astronaut uh, pension is really going to pay off. So oh, don't worry about that. He snaps his fingers. Thank goodness it wasn't Will Smith. But the policeman snaps his fingers and then he's just in Hong Kong because that's how easy it is to get to Hong Kong. He gets one text. Like, he gets one map and then, what? like, he's all... Fuck it. That whole thing is nonsense. But my point is, all of that takes time to establish. It takes so much time. And then you also need to reestablish him when he meets up with Graham and Yaz, because otherwise, why are we even caring about this guy? Oh, it's because he's part of the fam now. But now we need to spend more time on that. And all of that is time detracted from the person, the titular character of this TV show, whom we are all tuning in to see. Yeah, that one map contains not only the alley, but the exact door. And Jake thinks, Boris thinks, the keypad code. He just jabs the keypad code thinking, oh, I'll give this a couple of taps. If It'll work out. Yeah. If that doesn't work out, then I'll just kick the door in because there's nothing in between those two things. Yeah. You are so right because one of my notes for Jodie in this episode was that she is fine. She did her job, but she's really quite samey beyond the stereotyped things she does, the frantic gestures, the one way of meeting famous historical women and the, oh, but beyond any of that. She is called upon to do the exact same eight to ten minutes of work in most episodes, which is gluing everybody else together in this exact same way. And it yeah. has to be this exact same way because it has to be as functional as possible, as efficient as possible to cram all this extraneous, less interesting cast work in. <laughs> yes. Yes. A million times yes. Okay, when we look at that less interesting cast work, do you not also feel like maybe the emphasis was always placed on the wrong character? So, for example, we have Gabriella and What's-Her-Face. I genuinely never reg registered her name. Jamila. Jamila. Yeah. Jamila's Wait, about I, to I, buy it. I didn't call Gabriella Gabriella, by the way. I called her Yasriana because... Oh. <laughs> She it just is, seems so natural to me. <laughs> what would happen 
not ethnically speaking, but if Yaz and Ryan were to procreate, you would get someone who was socially awkward, most of the time wasn't worth listening to, constantly asking questions. That's yeah. her entire character. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yazriella and... Jamila. I've forgotten her name. Jamila. Jamila, thank you. Jamila. Right. Dude, a woman died today in Peru for no reason. That's my point. She died. <laughs> and no one cares because just like the chap on the beach, she doesn't factor into it anymore. Gabriella was her best friend, but she's super happy to just go traveling with someone else. She'll create a new blog. Who gives a shit? Jamila was just a vehicle for her stardom. Oh, absolutely. We- when Jamila explodes in that Peruvian operating room, I made a note that Gabriella says, Jamila, with all the intensity of Jamila having eaten one of her yogurts by mistake. <laughs> these people have traveled the world together and she's like jamila does not care does not care Absolutely so not. so jamila's about to die yep. and will not factor into the emotional development of gabriella or the narrative development of this episode she's oh. about to die so yep. why do we spend time establishing that those two travel together why do we need to have her not wanting to camp out in among the bins but then still do why do we need to establish that she snores at night why do we oh. have to have her like wake up and wander around? Why do we spend time on this character? I'm not saying that she's not worth our attention, mm-hmm. but if we're looking at an episode that's like 45, 48 minutes long or whatever it is, we need to prioritize. We yes. need to figure out what it is that's worth screen real estate and time, airtime, and what isn't. And what isn't should just be cut in favor of everything that's driving the story forward. And Jamila isn't. So why are we spending time on her? And that seems to be the case with pretty much everyone. In fact, I would argue there are really only two ancillary characters in this who are kind of worthy of our attention. And that's Boris and Spaceman. They're the only people we really need to care about. Yes, because they work hard to give Boris an arc. Very hard. Yeah. And a journey. Exactly. And Adam Lang, who was played by Matthew McNulty. Oh, McNulty. Yep. (laughs) Excellent. I think probably the best actor of all of them. Yeah, probably. And you know why that is? No. Because he has rubbed shoulders with acting royalty. He appeared in an episode of Poirot. (sighs) I knew my dick was twitching for a reason. Do you know which episode? <laughs> he played Major Allerton in Curtain, Poirot's last case. Oh my goodness. Oh, I could cry just thinking about it. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm rewatching sh- all of it. I'm on season three, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you don't put a shit everyday journeyman actor in Poirot's last episode. So, well done <laughs> times two, Matthew McNulty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, are you a former two-time World Thai boxing champion like Jake, who was played by Warren Brown? Wait, what? That's what he's his what? IMDb page says. Really? Yep. I can buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's built. Yeah, no, he, he's stacked, absolutely. Yeah. And yet he can't understand why his husband might fancy him. <laughs> like, astronauts don't care about beefcakes. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, I assure you astronauts are exactly like everybody else. They just yeah, fly exactly. a little higher. Oh, wait, hang on, I'll think. You can take a man out of the atmosphere, but you can't take the atmosphere out of... No, it doesn't work. It, doesn't uh, well, work. it, was, it was a noble attempt. Yeah, 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 I'll finesse it. Okay, hang on. You're, I've got some questions. I want to stay on that beach and talk about that beach for a little bit. Okay. Can I ask the super duper simple question, the obvious question of why do they camp among the bin bags? Where they were just like a moment ago, 10 meters further back, it was a paradise. Yeah. It doesn't turn into Bin City until after that final shrubbery. So just stay on the other side of the shrubbery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, what they should have done to make us feel something more about both of these characters. Just have a shot of them 
rolling up their sleeves and getting to work. If they care about nature rather than how many clicks and their audience figures while they're traveling around the world, if they are traveling around the world for the sake of the world rather than just their own selfish fucking gratification, show them taking care of the environment and picking up the bins and they look annoyed about it. But at the same time, they're kind of happy because you know what? This is the planet they love. And we might feel something when Jamila dies and we might feel something other than abject irritation every time we see Gabriella Yasriana for the whole rest of this episode. And that is a five second insert maximum. And nobody thought of that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's an excellent retro rewrite. Here's another one. How about the river is beautiful? Mm-hmm. The bin bags don't factor into the story, so don't have bin bags. Yeah, have yeah. them go to a beautiful whatever. A bird falls out of the sky if you want to keep that. Or perhaps more interestingly, Yazriella, not Yazriella, the other one. Or if you've got a name. Jamila. Jamila. See, this is how little I cared about her. Okay. <laughs> so Jamila, they're on the beach. They take off their flip-flops. She walks around in the sand and then she cuts her foot on something oh. and it's just a sharp piece of plastic yeah. and maybe this is how she contracts the virus and this is why she dies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that way we also show even the most beautiful places that you've heard of, they're also in the process of being destroyed. Because guess what? If you Google a place and it looks like Bin City, you're not going to go there. No one's going to go there. But if you Google a place and it looks like a paradise, odds are you might book a flight. But if you find out that that place is also in jeopardy, you're going to think twice about it. Or at the very least, you're going to have some concerns for the future. Yeah. And one of the lessons this episode and a lot of science at the moment is pointing towards is microplastics are everywhere. It falls in fresh Antarctic snow. It lands near the summit of Mount Everest. It can be found in marine sediments in ocean trenches. It is found in breast milk, in people's bloodstreams, in babies' feces. It's absolutely everywhere. It's in all of our organs right now. It is a really pressing problem. Absolutely. Up there with global warming as a threat to the future of our species. So, yeah, point it out in a better way and put that threat in a better episode, for God's sake. (laughs) I've got more questions about the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Hit me, dude. Why does Yasriella act so paranoid in the morning when she wakes up and Ryan is there? She starts patting him down. She's checking his bag. She's super just like, oh my God, what's happening? Blah, blah, blah. Pretty obviously your assumption would be, oh, Jamila's just like dropping a deuce behind the bushes. So we're just going to wait. Give her 30 seconds for crying out loud. Just don't assume that the first person who shows up is a murderer. And if you do, don't pat him down. Just run. Yeah, again, it's pretty terrible optics. Oh, a random black guy has appeared. Rapist! Gotta be! For goodness sake, guys. No, the thought did occur to me as well. That's a pretty clear reading in that scene, I feel. Problematic is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's no latent subconscious racism on my part at work there. I actually had less of an issue with an overreaction to a stranger than after she's patted him down and been like, oh, hey, baby, you got pecs. Oh, Mm. no further questions. Unzip me like I unzipped this tent flap a moment ago. (laughs) I've got a tent and my tent buddy is gone and I don't care about her. So do you want to bunk up? You've got room for one more. (laughs) When she gets out of the tent at night and she's birded Jamila. Yeah. 
she leaves the tent flap wide open. Why do yep. the birds not then fly right in and carry off Yasriana as well? Dude, I don't feel like the birds are a threat at all. Aside from the fact that they <laughs> eat a dude. <laughs> I don't feel like they are a threat at all. In Peru, <laughs> we can... Oh, yeah, sorry. See, I'd already forgotten about her again. We, like, literally just talked about her. I've already forgotten about her. I don't even know who we're talking about. So, aside from the fact that those birds eat two people, they don't seem like a threat to me at all. One of them dies <laughs> inexplicably on the Peruvian beach, and all the other birds that killed Jamila are gone. We don't see them anymore. Later on, when we're in the lab in Madagascar... Doc says, don't let the bird scratch you or you will be infected by this lethal alien pathogen. But there are about 5,000 birds in a room the size of a caravan and Doc refuses to even put up her ridiculous hood and no one is ever in peril. They just spend a minute chucking a baseball bat to one another with none of them taking a swing. Yeah. It's not a question of, oh, you know what? I'm only surrounded by 80 birds. Doc's got 85 birds around her. Here, you clearly need this more than me. Goodness <laughs> sake. They're everywhere, you morons. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, that's my point. I don't feel like the birds are a threat. No. But the birds are at the service of the narrative. Everything is. All the coincidences, all the threats. Okay, I suppose so. I was also pretty annoyed when Suki, although they set it up, sort of, not really, by saying, oh, you don't know what effect taking the human antidote will have when put into you. And then just as the doctor formulates her plan, oh, guess what? It turns out it accelerates the virus exploding you by a factor of 10,000. You had, for cellular reasons, a slower disease progression than before. Well, guess what? Now Jodie's figured it out. Boom, you're done. You're over. Pop. Did you also feel like, wouldn't it be wonderful if all those moronic Republicans ingesting horse dewormer were watching this episode? (laughs) (laughs) It seems like that's a direct parallel. Little did this. It's so prescient, actually. You know what? Pete McTeague, Chibbers, well done. (laughs) Bravi, because you had no idea that six months later or a year later, a bunch of dudes in the US were going to start eating medicine that was designed for an entirely different species, thinking, well, this will help me. Republicans, I think you mean independent thinkers. Oh, of course. No, people who have done their own research. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to take sides or anything. I'll be too partisan, but but I mean, obviously I am. But don't worry, you're on the right side. We know. Actually, more on the left, but yeah, that's fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about Yasriana a bit. Yes. What did you think about her? I'm not going to make this a leading question in any way. What did you think about Yasriana played by... Oh, I mean, played by whom? Joanna Borgia, or Joanna Boyer. Okay. So I've named her, so she might be listening. So what do you think? Go. As an actor or the character? Why not both? the actor, I think... She did a good job. There's very little you can do with the turd of a script. Oh, you can be more expressive than Jamila, my yogurt. You're dead. (laughs) That's true. But that is true. Okay, you know what? Yes, I take it back. You are absolutely (laughs) right about that. But at the same time, there's nothing in this script to indicate that she should express any kind of sympathy. Mm. Even if she were to inject sympathy into that scene, which you're right, she doesn't. Yeah, bummer. But later on, she wouldn't go off on a new blogging threesome with her new favorite couple, astronaut and tackler. She would go, I'm going to go and find an urn to put all that plastic dust into so I can bury my friend. 
or whatever, you know, she would pay respect. She would go, I should probably call Jamila's family and tell them what happened. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying she's a consistent menace to people who don't like being annoyed. Well, to people who don't like being annoyed, yeah. to us. You mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she was disappointing in lots of different ways, just like most people in this episode, disappointing in lots of different ways. I can probably, off the top of my head, name a couple of ways in which I found her to be utterly ridiculous as a character. Mm-hmm. But but that's nothing again. What was the name? Boya? Yeah. Sorry, my answer should have been, I don't know, how do you feel about Yazriella, Drew? Okay, maybe I'll ask my leading question now. Is how I feel about Yazriana the same way you feel about Donna Noble? (laughs) (laughs) No, because... No, absolutely not. Okay. Because I don't think that four years from now, I'm going to look back at this and go, Yazriana was great. Actually, (laughs) I take it back. There was some charm there. I don't think that's going to happen. My note is Gabriella the Vlogger is one of the most charmless creations I've ever seen on screen. (laughs) She keeps asking, what are you doing? In the most hostile, irritating way. It's of a piece with all her narcissism. She's trying to suck all the energy out of the scene and direct it back at her even when she's an ancillary character. Exactly the same way as a character can't believe she's not the most famous person in any given scenario. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's method in a way. At one point she asks, what is actually happening? Which even Yaz wouldn't stoop to that level of ignorance. And so she's Yaz squared. She is Yaz's companion. She's the companion's companion. The question asking, asking, the question asking companions, question asking companion, try saying that on the first tape podcast land. <laughs> I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm picking up everything you're putting down. She's pretty nonsensical in most ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is she Yaz's companion here? Because she's ready to fight someone or something but, or whatever. She's just been shown the TARDIS. Okay, pin in that. So, pin in that. Okay, first off, she is introduced to Ryan, and we think maybe we're going to have some kind of storyline there. Those two are going to go off on some kind of adventure, but they go straight to the TARDIS. She sees the TARDIS. She's inside the TARDIS. We have that pretty nice shot of the two of them, Ryan and Yazriella, Yazriana, sitting mm-hmm. on opposite walls in oh, the TARDIS. So close to my pin. You're skirting my pin with your tip. Oh, oh, just the tip, just the tip. They have this conversation in which her mind is, or if it isn't, certainly should be absolutely blown. Mm. She is traveling through space knows she could be traveling through time. She now knows there are such things as aliens. Yeah, fucking hell, as a professional traveler, should she not be a bit excited? Exactly. But then at the first chance, she chooses to stay behind with some rando, namely Yaz. Oh yeah, no, I'll I'll stay in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is more exciting than a fucking time machine that I just was in. Yeah, either she's been to Hong Kong already, or she's turned it down as too obvious a place for her vlog. Yeah, all the true. But it doesn't matter, it's on Earth. She's just been in an alien spaceship. (laughs) And as you just pointed out, she's into travelling. She should be drafting a blog post. She should not be sympathising, you know, thinking about her late friends, because she clearly did not care about her. But she should at least be thinking, oh, wow, how can I monetize this? There's going to be a fantastic article Dude, why isn't she vlogging slash filming every single thing that's happening? Fucking hell, you're so right. That's exactly what should have happened. Was it a blog or was it a vlog? It was a vlog, a video blog. She's filming Jamila as she's leading her towards the tip river. Just the tip, though. So why... (laughs) Just the tip river? (laughs) (laughs) What? 
you're right. Why does she not constantly film? Why isn't there scene after scene of her whipping out her phone to vlog and some member of the fam putting the phone down or, you know, just like, don't film this or whatever it is? Yeah. Oh, I've got nothing for you. I didn't like this character to begin with, but my goodness, we've just torn her three new assholes. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan before, but now I'm definitely not. Can, right. can I come okay. back to my pin? Please, yes. What's your pin? I'm the, curious. The pin is of her and Ryan in a TARDIS nook, or maybe the doorway, I'm not sure. And she asks him, so, is this an optical illusion? And he's like, I really don't know. He's been there for a series and a half. <laughs> yeah, you're right. What the fuck is this <laughs> character still doing in this show? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm never led anywhere more than three feet away from the steps. That's all I'm ever allowed to approach. <laughs> they don't let me see the innards of this. People tell me this place is huge, but they may be lying. <laughs> yeah, like how five-year-olds have mittens because they can't control their hands. I'm tethered to these steps because I can't be trusted <laughs> to use my own mind. Fuck you, Ryan, and whoever wrote for you. Just... Why is he still here? This has never been clearer to me. We need fewer companions. We've had Graham yes. and Yaz doubling up because yeah. they couldn't think of a fourth place to send someone on an errand. So have Graham turn up in Peru and have Yaz Ryana accuse him of being a dirty old man. Feel his flabby, flaccid man boobs and be like, now I definitely know you did it. I wouldn't fuck you, so I know you did it. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, segueing from that, I can give you one more example of why Ryan is the absolute shittest individual in this entire cast. Not shittest, most incompetent individual in this cast. Certainly the shittest investigator. Because he looks at one bird in Madagascar and misses the super loud, F-off, enormous swarm of screaming nightmare birds right behind him. It's like, oh, is that bird indigenous, this? Oh, there's one weird bird. Maybe we should go inside. Are there any more of them? Yeah, there are 10,000 birds behind you. <laughs> they are blotting out the sky. <laughs> yes, yes. It's exactly the same as when they see the giant spacecraft graveyard in Ranskaraf Colos. And I've compared several other things to oh look here we are and suddenly they're just in the center of what they were apparently looking for yeah and, exactly and here aramu says others have started to come and the doc says <laughs> and work wow dude <laughs> that was as gentle and mild as perfect. i could make it no i think you nailed it i okay. really think you nailed it yeah okay cool <laughs> and the doc because <laughs> The black guy's opinion needs to be validated by the white woman. <laughs> the optics! She says, yes, they have. When the sky is black with a swirling vortex of them immediately over their heads. Okay, I wonder, do you think that there is just a chance that they didn't know what was going to be CGI'd in later on? Oh, absolutely. And that's the same in all these scenarios that we're describing. So the CG people need to show a little bit more nous, or the people giving them the brief, let's face it, need yeah. to say, okay, they start off at a distance and it builds rather than it all happens at once in the same nanosecond. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and I can segue from that from the same nanosecond. I got, I got a, a terminus for that offshoot, which is when Yaz tells the doc the information that Suki's lab may not be all it seems. And Suki isn't privy to this conversation. She doesn't know what they're talking about. 
the doctor is facing the other way and somehow suki intuits it and goes from completely innocent and playing along to shifty to full-on confession in a nanosecond well maybe she has some alien tech inside her ear that allows her to hear yaz say the other one's in madagascar where you are yeah right now well then if the doc is so clever have her try and string Suki along a bit rather than turning exactly. around in the most basic fashion and being like, you know, I'm onto you, don't you? And Suki goes, my plan from the start has been thus. Good thing I prepared a PowerPoint <laughs> slideshow. Next slide, please. More pandemic material. Just, it's so basic. The point of me bringing up Fugitive at the top of the show was to say that this is back to basics. Chippers thinks he's bringing Doctor Who back to basics, but he's just making the whole show so basic. Last week, there was a little complexity, a little finesse, but here there is none at any point, and it's so upsetting. It really is. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) That was the point. I switched off in Orphan 55. Once Suki had been like, yes, I am secretly bad. (laughs) After that, I just found it very hard to pay attention or to give a shit. Well, I applaud your ability to have stayed with it up until that point, because that's pretty far along in this episode. Well done. Well done. Dude, it looked great. Some of it was very nice and bright and sunny. No, it was a stunning episode. Mm. Definitely. Production values through the roof. Cinematography, beautiful. Effects, gorgeous. The makeup, the plastic makeup thing, stunning. Really, it's a an incredibly well-done production of a script that really should have stayed with a writer's room for a few more turns. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question for you about Suki. Oh, please. Suki and uh, what's-his-face guy who's about to buy it. Alamu. Alamu. When they call Doc from the beach, yeah, what are they speaking and looking into? When they call Doc from the beach? They like video call Doc from the beach. Oh. And mid-call, the TARDIS arrives to go like, oh, hang on, you're talking to me. I'm right here. I've arrived in Madagascar now. Right. Oh. Do they just run to the other end of the beach, stare into the middle distance, and just go, Doc, we found something. <laughs> why? What? yeah. What's happening there? And why does Doc park her space and time machine at the other end of the beach when they've got a half-dead astronaut to drag one way all the way to the lab and then a three-quarters dead astronaut to drag all the way back again while they're pursued by killer birds yeah that's also a bit silly Mm -hmm. i think you can maybe make the argument that doc parks her tardis there because she knows that they are there but they don't have a space call gizmo you know there isn't a if we look at the screen or we don't have a floating webcam or something i guess i just don't understand how this call even happens and if it happens why it happens there and under those circumstances well they were just hoping you wouldn't notice that's all that happened there there's nothing in the episode that can justify it just like there's nothing that can justify once suki has learned that doc has this magic box and it flies from madagascar to hong kong and back again when they're down in praxius land she says how did you get here with complete horror (laughs) i didn't think about that yeah you're right (laughs) yeah neither did either of the writers one of whom is the showrunner one of whom they entrusted the whole BBC flagship sci-fi property to for five years. <laughs> I wonder what Chibbers is going to do after Doctor Who. What's he going to do now? Maybe he doesn't have to work. Maybe he can just retire at this point because he's made enough money. I don't know. But... Maybe. He's not going to appear at conventions, is he? Because who's going to want to see him? I reckon he will. Well, I he reckon might... people will want to... Well, actually, I don't know about conventions. 
Whitaker is clearly going to appear at conventions because lots of people love Whitaker, and why wouldn't they? She's yeah. the 13th Doctor. But <laughs> who's going to entrust Chibbers with a new franchise? I feel like he might have shot himself in the foot a little bit. I feel a little bad for the guy. I think what will happen is people will remember from the writer of Broadchurch, Series 1, they won't mention Doctor Who anymore. And so he'll go away and he will write a script, or he's already written some scripts. Because he'll have had ideas popping into his head that I'm sure, yeah. Doctor Who appropriate over the last half a decade. Yeah. And he will submit them the way anybody else does. And maybe he'll get some produced that way. And he can quietly rebuild his career on another channel. Because who at the BBC is going to want him? There are so many channels out there, dude. So many. But- that's true. I've just looked him up on IMDb and he's got nothing post-Doctor Who. There's no, like, scheduled, rumoured, planned, nothing like that. Yeah. Anyway, th- sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but I'm curious. No, fine. Also, I just wanted to say, Alamu was played by Thapello Maropifella, and okay. he hasn't appeared in anything else significant, but I thought it was important somebody remembered him and the character. <laughs> it's the best I can do, buddy. Good. He appreciates it. <laughs> Great. Should we talk Graham? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. How do you think Graham did? Graham did precious little. Mm. And half of it was sort of wasted Graham. His entire time in Hong Kong was a bit slapsticky, a bit fun, but ultimately could easily have been cut and it wouldn't have changed anything. When he was holding that sensor the other way around, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it's over there behind that wall. No, it's behind that door. That's what I mean. It was a little too slapsticky, too farcical and whatever. And you could cut it and it wouldn't change the episode at all. But he did get kind of a nice moment with Jake Ah, in Madagascar. Yeah, That was a really nice moment. That's the kind of role, that's almost the Wilfian kind of role that he is really good at playing. Yeah. And that the writers are really good at writing for him. Yeah, and they had that profile shot of him silhouetted with the bright Madagascan sunlight behind him as clueless Jake says, yeah, well, can you imagine being married to someone so great? And Graham's craggy, wise, knowing face, he just keeps quiet. He just, within himself, he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I was. Yeah. 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 And that makes that scene. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of a few really, really lovely scenes. Yeah. How did you feel about Graham? I really liked the fun in the line. Well, one of you is in for a shock when they say, I'm married, <laughs> yeah, I'm that. separated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really good. Actually, while we're talking about good lines, there are a couple of more good lines that I've written down that are both delivered by Doc. Oh, yeah? One was the, I did say that it would hurt. No, you didn't. Well, I meant to. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty fun. Very doctory. Um, very very doctory. And also, that's why you smell of dead bird. I thought you changed your shower gel. It's in my notes. It's in my notes. <laughs> that's pretty good as but well. It does yeah. make her sound incredibly stupid when there's a vortex of birds above them. Yeah, but no one knows that someone's going to CGI that vortex in, apparently, so (laughs) I'll forgive it. Just like I will, in fact, forgive Ryan for not having noticed that there was a giant swarm behind him. He had no idea. He thought there was one bird. She had no idea. She thought one dude was smelly. That's it. (laughs) I liked that Graham got to set up an IV because he's been through so many of them because he's had chemotherapy. An actual, honest-to-goodness character callback. Yeah, finally, he also gets to demonstrate a skill that isn't bus-related. Indeed! Just to give him an extra facet, which is nice. Yeah, nice. This isn't a complete wasteland of a script. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's tons of potential. Like on Orphan 55, where there shouldn't be, there are random tufts of vegetation. (laughs) It's not entirely (laughs) sterile. Don't worry. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. 
Okay, we talked about Adam and Jake. Jake. How do you think Jake did? Because they really had ambitions for this guy. He pretty much started the episode and finished it. Yeah, he's the only one who gets a proper arc here. Mm -hmm. How do I think he did? I think he did well. I thought he was a delight to watch on screen, and he had his charms, he had his foibles, he overcame them, he grew as a person. It's fine. Okay, where were his charms? I don't know. I just said that, man. No, <laughs> he, he has his charms when he's, even in the beginning, when he's tackling that kid, just the look that he gives the person. It's like, I'm a cop, ex-cop, but I'm making this shop a little bit safer. <laughs> there's oh, yeah. There's something nice about that. The fact that he even just cares about his husband is already like, oh, I'm, I'm oh. happy that you're a good husband, Jake. Yeah, um, I guess it's better that way around. Like, I don't know how I can possibly live up to my husband and meet with his approval rather than the other way around, which is like, yeah, I'm too good for him, really. He's punching above his weight. Yeah, there's something charming just about the fact that he is almost self-identifying as the underdog, that he's self-identifying as unworthy, in a sense. Yeah, he's he's yeah. so incredibly impressed by and in love with Adam, nearly forgot his name as well there for a second, that you, you got to appreciate that. Anyone who commits themselves emotionally to any other person, that's already admirable, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess he was redeemed in the end. He had his problems, but he wasn't thoroughly unlikable because of them. He admitted them. I had a bit of trouble with when he's saying to his astronaut husband at the end, I need this. And the husband is like, I don't want this. And he's like, yeah, but I need this. What did you think about that? Do you mean when he's sacrificing himself or he thinks he's sacrificing himself? Yeah. Well, it reveals quite a lot about what's going through his mind, right? He goes on a journey from feeling inadequate and failing to prove his adequacy, as far as he gets in trying to do so in the beginning, is tackling a kid and even failing at arresting him. So at the end, the only thing he can do is just call it quits and sacrifice himself, because when else is he going to get a chance to do something so grandiose? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's it. That's why he needs it. And it's up until that point, he's also feared that his husband, Chaz, Adam, that's him, yep. that Adam doesn't want him because why would he want him? He's just a lowly earthling. His job is on the ground rather than in space. So why would Adam ever want to be with Jake? And so the other side, the other culmination of this arc is suddenly realizing that, fuck, Adam really needs me to stick around. He wants me to be part of his life. He sees value in me. I didn't see value in myself even. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. That's why he says that. And I guess he's seen Adam describe to the doc all the wonderful things he's seen in space when he was up in the ISS, the hurricanes from above forming and the Aurora Borealis and that sort of thing. And he's also seen Adam take a punt that is essentially sacrificing himself. He didn't want Adam to take the antidote and Adam did and there was nobility in that so I guess yeah, true. he is just returning that and in doing that he is matching up to Adam and living up to his glorious husband and that's how he feels better I like that that is bringing a lot of threads together in a narratively satisfying fashion yeah yeah absolutely nice who knew that all we needed to do was spray antidote into the atmosphere and we could cure a potential pandemic do you know how big the surface of the earth is no how big is the surface it's of the earth it's five 510 million square kilometers and you add kilometers of volume onto that as well 
And if just one pigeon is resting under some eaves, as they've been known to do, hanging out yeah. in a dovecote, then yep. even a super-powered burst isn't going to reach them. Well, someone's going to show up in that lab, having not gotten any signs of life from the two scientists who work there, Guy on Beach and What's-Her-Face, and find the lab completely empty, but for one cut-open, unprotected bird on a table and just poke at it and boom oh, now we're back oh, no. that bird is a fucking pangolin it's a bat it doesn't matter we are now back to square one wow yeah by the way when ryan and what's her face forgotten her name seriously what is her face is it yasriana or Jamila? last one yeah gabriella yasriella so when, when Ryan and Yasriella are in the morgue, mm. where everyone's died, presumably, because it's empty. Oh, yeah. There's just a dead body. So presumably everyone died. Everyone caught this virus and just died. Even though we never see any trace of any of them. And where are they going to well, go? Well, I mean, it's they just turn into dust and that dust disappears. Oh. So presumably, this is why it's a dirty, empty hospital. It's just because everyone's turned into dust. Yep, that checks out. When they go there, I'm assuming that a bird didn't get into the hospital and infect everyone. I'm assuming everyone who handled this dead body, or dead-ish body, got infected. Ryan just pokes the eggs <laughs> on Yes. Yes, yeah. he does. Yeah. I remember seeing No that. problem whatsoever. Yeah. <sighs> Also, by the way, like these things poof into bursts of gross COVID smoke the second they die, right? And everyone's around just inhaling all that shit. No one catches anything. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And as described by Suki, who explodes mere feet in front of the doctor? This virus is smart. It's relentless. If it seems to have some form of sentience, it's coming for you on the back of those explosions. That is part of the way it spreads. Yeah, exactly. Spring its spores. Yeah. <sighs> but we could talk for another hour about how none of that stacks up. <sighs> let's just try to rate this, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. And now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. What up, podcast land, and welcome to the hour mini section of this podcast episode. Drew, that devilish rascal, won the finger tip on tip of nose game, and thus I am going first. Funny that, I feel like the exact same thing happened in the last classic only a few days ago, so great. Okay, here we go. Right, well, I know exactly where to start. What a pity it is that this episode was conceived of and produced before the benefit of hindsight that the actual pandemic that followed closely on its heels might have afforded the writers. It could have been a very different, it would have been a very different episode otherwise. And while we're at it, what a ridiculous set of coinkydinks and missed opportunities. For starters, here's one missed opportunity. You know what? There are plenty of franchises in which two people use a teleporter and arrive at the other end, blended together in one way or another. I'm not saying Yas and Yasriella could have merged into a Brundlefly-esque blob of utter agony. I'm saying they could have Tuvixed it, you know? They could have really honed their ability to ask inane questions that don't drive a plot in any direction, emphasized it to the nth degree, produced and starred in their own stupid vlog series, become the truly least compelling companion to ever have graced the inside of the TARDIS. Missed opportunity, just saying. Anyway, I thought Doc was fine in this. She still gets on my nerves at times, but whatever, it's not her fault, really. Companions, goodness, which one of the six should I start with? Graham's great, but underused. Yaz has great potential, which continues to be squandered. And what is Ryan going to learn from dissecting a bird? 
Might as well ask him to paint a still life in oils, something else he hasn't shown an inability to do in the past, but that I assume he has no aptitude for, just like dissecting goddamn birds. We've already expectorated all the bile that this episode had coming, so I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not sure what else there is to say, except that, you know what, I thought it looked nice. It was pretty brave and ambitious as takes on the subject matter go, if a little preachy at times. And I was entertained. It was bad, but I was entertained. The foe, well, the virus, if that's the foe, is interesting, but never fleshed out, so to speak. And we never learn anything about the alien species that's spreading it on Earth, really. We don't even know where they're from or anything. They're from three galaxies away, maybe? Great. That helps. (laughs) (laughs) So what else is there to say except whatever noise constitutes a shrug emoji? Production value, great. Greatest asset, this thing doesn't know its own limitations. Biggest flaw, nor does Chibbers. Main takeaway, great idea, utter shambles of an execution. And I have given this a racing of, oh, fiddle bum. Oh, I've written 1.0. Okay, that's not so far away. Okay, all right. (laughs) Right, here's my maxi. All right. (laughs) Just fair warning. Should have (laughs) known. Like I said, I had an extra week to write this. I respect this series' intentions in a way, and those of the people behind it. They weren't afraid to do different things with a headline property, to be a different Doctor Who. Because to many of the goings-on by the end of Moffat's run, there was a definite familiarity that many people had tired of. And whether in visual or audio format, a Doctor Who adventure can become formulaic. Whether it's fighting badly trained AI, bases under siege, the same old moral choices, whatever. And once you've seen and listened to hundreds of Doctor Who adventures like the super fans that most of the writers are, the expectations for how scenes should progress and be sequenced, it all becomes ingrained. So the stories follow the structure rather than the other way around. It all feels tired. So whereas before, the show, even the Doctor Who universe, and the assumed relation of every being in it to the Doctor were all tight as a marching band, led by Murray Gold, Here, I think the intention was for free jazz. Anything could happen at any moment. Any cut could lead us anywhere, spring us any surprise at lightning speed. And when the show gets that right, as they do in bits of Spyfall, in Fugitive of the Jadoon, and large parts of Flux, it is thrilling to see them pull off these big swings. But unfortunately, as here in Praxius land, they are too often big dumb swings. They are desperate lunges with poor timing and execution, putting up dolly catches for us reviewers. And rather than free jazz, it sounds like a four-year-old mashing the keyboard they just found for the first time or pummeling a drum kit until your ears bleed. Now, instead of cool guys don't look back at explosions, it's edgy heroes don't look back at deaths. Because explosions we can take for granted, but maybe the deaths will still shock the audience. (laughs) My lesson to Chibbers is there is merit to transitions. We aren't yet digital creatures fully. We need a bit of padding. Riding a roller coaster at 5G is a massive thrill ride. If you hit a wall at 100G, you just die. Or in this case, maybe it's just my interest that does. And it's ironic that on both occasions in series 12, when the show has attempted to put across a strong environmental or moral message, a warning for humankind, striving for meaning and relevance, most other things in the episode have been overworked and overcrowded to the point of meaninglessness and irrelevance. As you said, Leon, what a pity. I'm not pleased by it. No matter how much we laugh for two hours at a time, 
In Fugitive of the Jadoon, Chibber's pulled his trick that he sometimes gets right of you flip the standard thing and you make it one step cooler and it fills the scene with drama and tension. Ruth was telling Doc about her parents in the lighthouse and asks, hey, are you testing me? And Doc says, yes. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't expect that. Here, he goes back to his other habit of what next step would be the most annoying. Instead of there always being something fun around the corner, here it's one additional vexation. After the spaceship needs to be piloted manually, I wouldn't have been surprised if on reaching the stratosphere, hero Jake cried out, Ah, oh, Doctor, I'm sorry I can't touch the button, I've got terrible cramp. Okay, can you use your other hand? No, I'm afraid I touched Adam's space eczema leprosy. So my hand just this second fell off. Alarms are blaring all around. Okay, but what about your feet? Oh, my leg's gone to sleep. Boom, spaceship explodes, life on Earth over. And then Doc goes from really incompetent, she can't fix an autopilot, to hyper-competent in seconds. It just accentuates the seeming stupidity. Whatever. All of the characters bar the astronaut are given what counts for complexity in the form of unlikable traits they need to work through. Fine, sure, but only one is given the space for his arc to rehabilitate him. So most of the episode is devoted to zipping back and forth at breakneck speed between unpleasant people. When Gabriella, fresh from turning Adam and Jake's belated honeymoon into a vlogging opportunity, says, come find us sometime, my heart cannot have been the only one to sink, thinking, please God, no spin-off. Please, never, never again. In the end, there was one good thing. A bit of positive, diverse representation work is achieved in the form of the gay married couple. But once again, what a pity it wasn't in a better episode. Looks great. 1.3. Yeah, right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> that was a very well-prepared and executed maxi. Well done. Thanks very much. Well, those are our opinions, but we're just knobs putting the knob in nobility. What do the rest of Podcast Land think? Oh, uh, I don't know. Let's find out. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okay, so this week we have five listener minis. Mmm, yes. Hello. And we'll read out the first three whoops and summarise the last two and direct you to the website where they can be read in their full splendour. Dang right. So who's first? First up, it's Michael. Ridgeway! Ridgeway! Hello, Michael. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Welcome back, Michael. Oh, hello. Michael begins with a list of likes. Ooh. That effect. That is total David Cronenberg body horror yuckiness right there. Oh, yeah. Next like, the echo horror parasite and investigation feels quite X-Files. That's true. I agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Freaky gas-masked horrors resemble the nasty from my bloody Valentine. And the malevolent birds remind me of the malevolent birds in The Birds. <laughs> Wait a minute! Michael exclaims, this is a Frankenstein's monster of other people's ideas cobbled together with some smug location work. <laughs> Why would anybody camp in a rubbish tip? Yeah. Do they want cholera and rabies for breakfast? Apparently. Why would Ryan poke a nasty alien growth? Oh, excellent question. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? A lot. And Michael gives this a rating of two out of five dumb people. That includes you, Ryan, who deserve to be consumed by killer alien eczema. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. Each question was more pertinent than the last, honestly. Absolutely. Oh, nice one. Thank you very much, Michael. Good mini. People who are not Michael, I believe they can follow Michael on Twitter. Right, Drew? 
they can follow this prince of interrogators at bad underscore movie underscore club. that's right thank you michael yes oh. and get ready for the next classic when we transition into the and michael's full splendor is revealed oh my goodness that's splendor it's so <laughs> big <laughs> Who's next? Next up, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Kieran begins. Hi, folks. So, it's our second story of the series with an environmental theme. Nothing particularly new there. The show has been doing that since the 70s, if not before. The main issue with Chibnall's era is that it's often lazily written. So, with the low bar set by Orphan 55, is this better? Well, yes. (laughs) Yes, that's not particularly hard, but still... Kieran continues, maybe surprisingly, I actually find our astronaut slash copper couple a decent pairing. I suspect some might be finding them a bit cheesy and cliche, but they were all right to me. The vlogging pair weren't that much to write home about, or is that vlog home? And the guy in Madagascar was there, I suppose. Oh, well. (laughs) Suki is... (laughs) He was, yeah. Suki is fairly well played with an air of something not quite right about her and the lab at the beginning, thus setting the second half unscrupulous scientists are slightly different to the normal fare, so not too bad. With respect to the gang, well, everyone has something to do, which is always good. Mm. The Doctor is a little scatterbrained, which I know is the style for 13, but it does distract at times. A story about a plague which came out in February 2020. Hmm. That said, it's a fairly tame plague, not like, say, Doctor Who and the Silurians with dozens collapsing at Marlebone. Yes, it is. We pull back out to the planet, and very unlike the end of Orphan 55, the whole plastic issue just um, gets swept into the gyre, doesn't it? It's, oh well, we dealt with Suki and everything, so everything's fine. The virus was the problem. Yeah, exactly. This is before Orphan 55, and Orphan 55 is effectively caused by pollution, so (laughs) we've not learned our lesson here. (laughs) Not spectacularly, no. And Kieran concludes, microplastics and plastic waste is a big issue. And I didn't find this too bad theme-wise. The beginning was very choppy between scenes, though. And he gives us a rating of 3.0 out of 5. It should have been Autons. Oh, god damn it. It really should have been. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point, Kieran. Exactly. Yeah, save the plastic thing for Autons. Can Autons recruit microplastics and make new Autons out of them? Well, the nesting consciousness can control plastic, right? Or is it rubber? Mm-hmm. No, it's plastic, I think. Oh, well. Yeah, go. exactly. Maybe the nesting consciousness could just show up on Earth and go, wow, there is so much plastic here. I can now use it for mankind's undoing. Dot, dot, dot. Anyway, yeah, very good point, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, I think, can follow Kieran online as well. Yeah, he is also on Twitter at KJ Evans too. For all your Evan needs. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks so much, Kieran. Who's next? Did we do it? Did we coincide? I think so. Ah, this episode is full of coincidences. Next up, it's Michael French. Hello, Michael. Bonjour! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, 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 I'll stop. (laughs) Your persistence is yaz-like, Michael, and to be praised. Thanks for writing in again. Michael starts, I've been struggling to write this review because this episode just does not stick with me. After a week of not writing anything, I decided to take a page out of Drew's book and watch it again. It did not help. The biggest thing that stuck out to me was how, even after one of the vloggers dies, the other one keeps on being amazed that the TARDIS team has never heard of them. Yeah, yeah, dick move. Perfect narcissism. Yeah. Also, this is the second episode this season about how people are terrible to the environment, but gives no solutions on how to solve the problem, and only says plastic bad, which I think most of us agree with. Yeah, that's a very good point. (laughs) 
And Michael concludes with, With that said, this has to be the second worst episode of the season after Orphan 55, so I'm giving this a 2.2 people exploding into plastic out of 5. Ooh. I feel like everyone's got a much bigger heart than we do. Michael, that's a fantastic <laughs> mini. Very nice stuff. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Mm. Right, henceforth, snips, snibbity snips alone. Who's next? Next up, we're snipping Daniel McGinley. What up, Daniel? Oh, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel McGinley. McGinley. This Daniel. is never going to work with this delay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Daniel. <laughs> In Daniel's opinion, this is the most irritating episode of the Chibbers era to date, and thus earns 1.7 plastic bottles thrown into the ocean. Oof, maloof. Now we're talking. Yeah, here's our friend who agrees with us. Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel. People who are not Daniel can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram, methinks, Drew. Yes, at Twitter they can follow him at Daniel. J. McGinley. <laughs> and at Instagram, Leo? And on Instagram, they can find him on Planet of Giants with underscores. Yeah, and you can find the rest of his spiffing review on whobackwhen.com. Dang right. Thanks, Daniel. Who's last? Why, last up, it's... Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America! Hello, Tracy. Sup, Tracy? Tracy says, snip, snippity, snip, sim, snips, and concludes with a rating of when a mummy virus and bacteria-killing gene love each other very much, dot, dot, dot. Ooh, some phage work, me thinks. <laughs> <laughs> Nice one. Thank you very much, Tracy. Great mini, solid rating. People who are not Tracy can follow Tracy online. Please high five her at That's Fountain Tracy backwards almost. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Tracy. And that's it for this episode. But this is not the end of Doctor Who, nor the end of Who Back When. Oh, thank goodness. Leon, what's coming up next at all? Well, next at all is going to be the next bonus episode, and that will be the New Year's Bloops, most likely followed closely by the Sixth Doctor retrospective. Oh, fun. Hope you don't mind us taking Christmas week off podcast land, but Leon will be in Sweden. That's right. After that, what have we got coming up? We'll figure out if we do classics or new first, but if we were to do a classic, what would it be? It would be the seventh Doctor's first adventure, Time and the Rani. Mm, very good. And if it were a new, what would it be? It would be Can You Hear Me with the Freaky Fingers. <gasps> I forgot about the fingers. Yeah, you're right. After that, at some point, we're going to do an Audio Who review as well. Next in line is Doctor Who, colon, redacted. Faboo, but until then, where can people find us online, dear chap? Oh, what a spiffing question. Well, Podcast Land, if you'd like to high-five me online, please do so. I shall endeavour to high-five you right back. I can be found on Twitter, at least as of this recording. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Oh, a spiffing question met with a spiffing answer, my dear fellow. Ah, what about you, old chum? I can be found at Drewback When because it sounds like Quebec When. Oh my goodness, that is such fabulous branding. I only built on the back of your media empire. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's about it from us, Podcast Land. So thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Catch it on the flip side. Catch you in 2023. Oh my goodness, for when we finally catch up. Holy crap. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah, be around next to each other. Ciao, ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?